0: I invite you to open your Bibles, please, to the book of Colossians, chapter 2. Colossians, chapter 2, please. Let's pray together. Father, we rejoice in all that you have done, all that you are doing, and all that you're going to do. We know that those things that are still to be done are just as surely done as those things that have been done, because you are faithful and you are powerful. And so when we look at those things that you will do, we recognize them as sureties. Help us this morning as we continue to worship you, that we would worship you in spirit and in truth as we gather around your word. Help us to worship you. Draw our attention to you, to your Son, our Savior. Enrich us by your spirit, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. For many years I traveled back and forth, to Iowa in my car. And it's, a, it's a, about a 20-hour journey to do this. So many times I found myself doing it straight through, save the money on hotel rooms and all of that, and to be home sooner. It's always better to be home than to be gone. During these trips, I would undoubtedly eat all manner of junk food that I shouldn't eat. There were several reasons for that. First of all, because if I didn't, I wouldn't have any fingers left because I would would have gnawed them down to nubs, and I kind of need my fingers. So that's one reason. The other is to stay awake, to stay alert. One of the problems with eating junk food, well, other than the fact that your body composition doesn't look so good, and it really isn't so healthy, other than that problem, there are other problems as well, and that is when it's time for a real meal, you're not, not ready for it. Not ready for it at all. So you undoubtedly feel a bit disgusting, and you feel undernourished, and you're not ready for that which will truly satisfy you. One of the important truths that we need to recognize this morning from our passage is that we cannot substitute the snacks of other philosophies for the truly satisfying feast that is found in Christ alone. We cannot substitute the snacks of other philosophies as a substitute for the truly satisfying feast that is found in Christ alone. When we snack on other ideas, theories, and theologies, we are not ready for Christ. And what we need to recognize is that Christ is... What do you think I'm going to say next? Enough. Enough. How did you know that? You're so, you're so brilliant. Christ is enough. Can can we get that phraseology, that statement, deeply embedded into our minds and hearts this morning? Christ is enough. And if our walk is going to be all that it should be, it is going to be because we realize that Christ is enough. And as we look at our passage this morning, we're going to consider three truths about our walk with God. Two of them will be positive. One of them will be negative. You get a positive, a negative, and a positive. It's kind of like a negative sandwich, um, but the positive will outweigh the negative. I assure you. Uh, three truths concerning our walk with God. And the first of these is this: Our walk with God is based upon His grace. Our walk with God is based upon His grace. Let's read the passage. We're going to read from verse 6 down to verse 10, as we have already done in our Scripture reading. God's Word says this, As you therefore have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him, rooted and built up in Him, and established in the faith, as you have already been taught, abounding in it with thanksgiving. Beware, lest anyone cheat you through philosophy and empty deceit, according to the tradition of men, according to the basic principles of the world, and not according to Christ. For in Him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily, and you are complete in Him who is the head of all principality. And power. This passage is telling us that Christ is enough and it's related to our walk and, and we re- need to recognize that our walk with God is based upon his grace. Verses 6 and 7 make this abundantly clear. He starts verse 6 off by saying, as, as you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him because this has happened, in the same way that you received Christ Jesus the Lord, in that same manner, you're to walk in Him. It's all a reception. We received Christ. We continue in that gracious gracious reception. I'll restate it this way. As our salvation is a gift of God's grace, so our walk with God is based upon His grace. This is all over the pages of Scripture. Old and New Testament. Our walk with God is based entirely, entirely on grace. Now I want for that to resound from us as we look at these passages. Uh, Hold your hand here because we're going to come back, but take a look over at Galatians for just a moment. Galatians chapter 3. While you're turning there, on the board behind me, the screen behind me, will be another passage of Scripture. It's a very familiar passage. Romans chapter 1, verses 16 and 17, where the Bible says this, For I am not ashamed of what? The Gospel. I'm not ashamed of the Gospel. Why am I not ashamed of the Gospel? For it, the Gospel, is the power of God for salvation. It's the power of God for salvation. For whom? For everyone who believes. To the Jew first, and also to the Greek. For in it, the Gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed, listen, From faith to faith. From saving faith to growing faith, maturing faith, or to use a technical term, sanctifying faith. From one kind of faith, saving faith, to another kind of faith, sanctifying faith. Why? The just shall live by his faith. This is the pathway of the Christian life. Just as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, the same way, so walk in Him. As salvation is a gift of God's grace, so also is sanctification. Sometimes we, we don't connect those dots. Sometimes we think that sanctification comes by making choices. Well, I'm not going to do this, and I am going to do this, and so I'll be sanctified. Sanctification comes the same way salvation does. Just like you can't add anything to God's salvation message of the gospel, you can't add anything to the, the gospel message that is the Christian life. If you try to add to the salvation message, say, well, I've got to, of course, I've got to do this, and I have to do this in order to be saved and for God to please, be pleased with me, that's not the gospel anymore, right? Is that true? Would you all agree that if you add some type of work to the Gospel, it no longer is the Gospel? We agree with that. How about the same with the Christian life? If you add works to the Christian life, you're no longer talking about grace and Gospel any longer. And the Christian life is the same recipe for salvation. It's trusting Christ. Here in Galatians chapter 3, look at what it says. Paul is dealing with this very problem among the Galatian church. He says, Oh, foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Who has tricked you that you should not obey the truth, before whose eyes Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed among you as crucified? This only I want to learn from you. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law? or by the hearing of faith. Are you so foolish, having begun in the Spirit, are you now being made perfect by the flesh? So we all know this passage, right? And we would all condemn fleshly endeavors toward being pleasing to God. But sometimes we get dragged back into that very same mindset, don't we? Well, if I I read my Bible and pray every day, I'll... Grow, grow, grow. Well, I think reading your Bible is good. I know it is. And I think praying is good. I know it is. But does the recipe, read your Bible, pray, does that make you grow? Or does God make you grow? God is the source of that growth. He uses the reading of the word. And he uses prayer. He uses church attendance. He uses corporate worship. He uses prayer meetings. He uses Bible studies. He uses acts of service. He uses all of that to cause us to grow. But who causes the growth? He does. It's a growth in faith. Now, as we head back to Colossians 2, let's look at how he talks about this. He really gives us very clear, very clear instruction about this. He says, Just as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, just in that same way, walk in Him. Okay, we understand this. Walking is the idea of of going about and living, right? Walking is the the manner of life with which which we live. So it's not like going for a walk where you do that at a point in time. Your walk is what you do all day long every day. That's who you are. As you receive Christ Jesus Jesus the Lord, so walk in that way. And then he gives us these four characteristics of a walk in verse 7. And I want you to notice, before we even read it, the first three of them are passive. Passive, meaning we're recipients here. Just like receive... While, while we actively receive, it's something that's happening to us. Well, as you look at verse 7, the first three of these concepts are all passive, meaning this is something that's going on. It's happening. You, you can't do this. God does it. He says in verse 7, Rooted, and built up in Him, and established in the faith, as you have been taught, abounding in it with thanksgiving. Now what I want to to do for us is to help us to see this a little bit more clearly by using the New American Standard Bible for for, uh, the clarity, because it it really reflects the tenses for us, so that we get a, a really clear understanding of the original Greek intention. The first phrase is, having been firmly rooted. Having been firmly rooted. It is a perfect... Passive, participle. Perfect means it's something that happened in the past that has a result that continues to the day. Something that happened back there and it just has continual results. That's what the perfect tense has the idea of. And it's passive. It's something that happened. So what he says is, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him because you have already been rooted in Christ. He has done this. He's rooted you in Christ. The idea of, of rooting is that it's, a, it's a, a horticultural terminology. It has the idea of, of, of you look at a, a farm, and someone has, has done all this work. They've plowed the fields, and they've planted the seeds, and they've made sure it was watered, and they, they prayed to God that there'd be sun. So that then the combination of water and, and a lack of weeds and sun is going to make that plant that has been planted there deeply rooted so that, that what is springing down deep is now rising up top and then it bears fruit, right? This is what we hope for when we plant a garden. Well, to be rooted, it's to have your roots deeply entrenched. What he is not saying is Hey, go and figure out how to root yourself in Christ. He says, you've been rooted in Christ. If you know Jesus as your Savior, everything you are, your person is absolutely tied together, rooted in the person of Jesus Christ. So he starts off by telling us what God has done on our behalf. As you've received, so walk, having been rooted, having been firmly rooted. Rooted. And then he says, and now being built up in him. And now being built up. That's reflecting the, the present tense. And so he says, this already happened and it has continuing results. And now what's happening is God is doing something else that is continuing to this day. He's building you up. This has already happened and it has results. You've already been rooted. And now on top of that, he's using an architectural term. And he's, he's building us up in him. Christ. So that which is going deep is now rising tall. Who's doing it? How do you know? It's a passive. He doesn't say, go build yourself up in Christ. Having been rooted in Christ and now being built up in Christ. This is all a work of God. The work of God is called grace, friends. When God is at work, it's called grace. Then he says, and established in the faith. Now you'll notice that I use the the New King James for that because the NASB, what they do there is, is they change the to your. And it changes the meaning of the verse. It's not a good change. It says, established and established in the faith. The NASB has established in your faith. And your faith is not the issue here, the faith is the issue. The fact that you've been established or rooted in Christ and you're being built up in Christ and now you're established in the faith that has once for all been delivered to the saints. And so that is the truth of of the word. And and the reason that's so important is the very next verse is going to counter this. What he talks about is the the philosophies of men, the traditions of men, the basic rudiments of the world, these things that, that will try to pull us away from that which is already established, just like you've received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him because you've already been rooted in Him, you've been built up in Him, and you're established. And he uses this legal term, established. The idea is confirmed in the faith or attested in the faith. It's almost like uh, some, some judge has come along and he's observed all of the evidence and he says, yes, this is, this is so established in the faith. This is the truth. This person is established in the faith of the word that God has brought forth. And so we have all these passives. What's happening? Walk in him by having all of this happen to you. That's what he says, the first part of it. So so far, our walk is all about receiving. It's pretty impressive. And then he does give us one active, one present tense active So now when we look at a present tense that's active, now we're saying, okay, this is something that really is is something I need to be involved in. And again, we're going to rely upon the New American Standard Version for our translation here, because it says, and overflowing with gratitude. And overflowing with gratitude. What a nice way to say that. When you and I realize all that is ours as people who are rooted in Christ, it should produce the deepest, most continual, most overflowing kind of thanksgiving. Notice all that is happening to us. I know I've said it, and I've repeated it a time and again, but it's because I want us to see that our walk with God is rooted in God's grace. It's based upon God's grace. You have received Received Christ Jesus, so walk in him. Having been firmly rooted and being built up in him, and someone established, attested to, established in the faith, and overflowing in it. Overflowing in it with gratitude, with thanksgiving. So all of this, the, the one activity that's spoken of as an active element on our part is gratitude or thanksgiving. Interestingly, I think this is very important, so don't, don't fade out here. Interestingly, elsewhere, Paul talks about thanksgiving as a result of spirit-filled living. Thanksgiving is an outflow of of God's working in our lives. And so, while here we have it looking to be an active, and it is, it's overflowing, we should be overflowing with gratitude. If you understand the New Testament and you recognize where thanksgiving comes from, it's rooted in spirit-filled living. And so, that gratitude itself doesn't even come from my source. It comes as a result of the Spirit's work in my life. You find it in Ephesians chapter 5 particularly. So he's really telling us to look at the blessings. Look at the blessings of what we have received. The call is to continue in the blessedness of God's grace. The call is to continue in the blessedness of God's grace. There are so many ways, there are so many ways that we can be distracted from this grace. There are so many ways that we can be distracted from this kind of a walk. Listen, there's a self-focus. What I feel. What I need. What I want. There's a self-focus. There's a world focus. They have. I don't. I want. There's, there's all kinds of things that will distract us from a walk of grace and a walk with Christ that is rooted in thanksgiving. And this is where Paul turns our attention next. You see, our walk with God is based upon God's grace, but I also say we need to notice, secondly, that our walk with God can be derailed by the flesh. Our walk with God can be derailed by the flesh. Now, you know what I mean by derailed, right? You're going down the tracks. Everything's good. Until something comes across the tracks, it slams on the brakes, and then the... the, the, the what do you call those things? Are they wheels? <laughs> so they're not wagon wheels. Train wheels? No, whatever. They come off the tracks. They're derailed. And anything good happening at that point? No. So he turns our attention to this warning in verse 8. He says, Beware. Beware lest anyone cheat you through philosophy and empty deceit, according to the tradition of men, according to the basic principles of the world, and not, not according to Christ. He tells us to beware. He tells us to be on the lookout. What are we looking out for? Something that's going to keep us from... Walking with Christ the same way that we received Christ. Something that's going to keep us from walking by faith. Something that's going to keep us from walking in grace. Beware. Lest anyone cheat you. The idea there is to take someone off as a captive. It's kind of a very vivid terminology, wouldn't you say? Beware lest someone gets a hold of your mind captivates your mind and drives you in a direction that is far from where God intended. Our new King James, and I think King James used the word cheat. Cheat. It's a good word, but it may be lacking just a little bit in this idea of bringing someone into captivity. When someone is captive, it's like their, their wrists are chained. Friends, have you ever been held captive by some philosophy? H- have you ever felt like you, you had to do this certain thing? Anyone involved themselves prior to being coming to know Jesus Christ in a religion that made you feel in bondage? Of course you did. This is the kind of idea that Paul is conveying. Beware lest someone gets those chains on you and carries you captive to some philosophy that is outside of Christ. He says, and I'll, I'm going to rely upon another translation of Scripture here, because what it does is it makes, a, it makes a, an interpretation. Now, our New King James and our King James and hopefully our ESV and our New American Center, they're trying not to make interpretations for us. They're just trying to convey the original sense. They're just trying to make sure that they're, they're conveying the words there. Some translations actually try to interpret for us, which we don't like, unless they make a good interpretation, then we can like it. Um, and one particular one that I'll make reference to is the NIV here. He says, beware lest anyone cheat you through hollow and deceptive philosophy. Hollow. What's hollow? Sorry, I said hollow hollow. What is hollow? Empty. An empty and a deceptive philosophy. Now, I have refrained from talking about some of the technicalities of the book of Colossians to this point. I was holding on to it for this portion, because here we are, we're getting into the heart of the letter of Colossians. What kind of a hollow and deceptive philosophy was going on there in Colossae? Most likely, it's what we would call, and here's a a ten-cent word for you, incipient Gnosticism, or the first stages of Gnosticism. Now, I want to just tell you about Gnosticism just for a few minutes. You may be familiar with it, you may not be. It has a very simple philosophy. They think it's complex, but it's very simple. This is what they say. Spirit is good. Spirit is good but material is evil. Okay? So if there's something spiritual, something that's spirit being, then that's good. But if there's something that's a material, whether it be the earth's surface, some petite piece of fruit or food, clothing, or flesh, what is that? That's material, and it's evil. All right? Well, if that's the case... What does this do theologically? Anything? you have any problem with that theologically? If everything that's material is evil? Do you know of anyone that came in the flesh? We call him Jesus. If he is in in fact flesh, and he was, and if in fact... This incipient form of Gnosticism that turned into full blown Gnosticism in the second century, if they're correct and material is evil, then guess what? That makes Jesus evil. Or, here's an alternative to that it makes him not really flesh. So that, that was one way that they would go with you know, either he's no good, or more likely, they would say he was just appeared to be flesh. He really wasn't flesh. He really is this kind of superior angelic being that is an intermediary between God and man, because God can't really have contact with material, because material is evil, and God, He's spirit, so He's good. And so there must be this intermediary, and that was one of, Jesus was one of those. He was one of those intermediary beings, and so uh, He really wasn't material. Any problem with that, friends? The Bible says that Jesus tasted death. For everyone, The Bible says that he partook of the seed of Abraham, that he might become a helper or an aid to the seed of Abraham. The Bible tells us that Jesus was God in the flesh. So we have a real theological problem. Additionally, it produces a practical problem. Here's a little, here's a little insight for you. Ready? Anytime there's a theological problem, there's a practical problem because our practice is based upon our theology. Now when I say theology, that means a study of God. There are atheists, they don't believe in God. Their theology impacts their practice. There are agnostics, they don't really know what to think about God in some way. They have some unfinished business understanding God. That's the concept of agnosticism. They don't have a fully, full understanding of who God is, and it impacts their practice. Theology always impacts our practice. And so, if material is evil, we have two possibilities, and this is what happened with Gnosticism. They either thought, well, I really need to be ascetic. The term is asceticism. We could call it legalism. What they do is they deny the flesh. Because flesh is evil, I must deny it. I'm not going to eat anything good. I'm not going to do anything that feels good. I'm just going to deny my flesh because my flesh is bad and I I want to be good and so I don't want to indulge in my flesh in any way. Legalism. That's one way that Gnosticism turned. The other side of it is, hey, matter is always bad. It doesn't matter what you do. So you may as well enjoy it. We call that lasciviousness or license. And that would be that they would indulge the flesh. And so what we've got is these theologies coming in, they're really smart people. We have a special knowledge. We have a special knowledge and we want you there at Colossae. We want you to understand our special knowledge. Spirit is good. Matter is evil. So you either deny the flesh or you indulge the flesh. And what Paul does, he doesn't really... Mess around. He tells us who Jesus is. That's why we, we looked in chapter 1. This is Jesus. This is who He is. And He's continued to tell us who Jesus is throughout. He also starts at this portion of the letter. He's going to start dealing with both of these ideas. He's going to address the possibilities of those that would uh, deny the flesh for the sake of, of, of believing that matter is evil. And then He to also address issues of those who would indulge the flesh. One, he's going to deal with both of them. Well, why is all of this important to us? Know that these attempts to deal with the problem of the flesh, no matter what it is, are always ineffective and they never satisfy. Hey, listen, I want to ask you a question. Have you learned that your flesh is not so good it's pretty easy to, to buy that line that matter is evil, right? Because you know you, and you know the struggles you face, and you don't really like your evil. I would think, I would think if you liked your evil, you would have stayed away today. Yes, so you don't like the fact that you are sinful, and so you want to deal with that sin. Well, you can deal with it by denying your flesh, or you could deal with it by indulging your flesh and just trying to wash it away. And both ways are ineffective at dealing with the problem of sin. And both of them are non-satisfactory. They don't satisfy. Paul calls these attempts traditions of men and basic principles of the world. Take a look at verse 8 again. Beware lest anyone carry you away or cheat you through philosophy and empty deceit. What are we talking about? According to the traditions of men. According to the basic principles of the world. And not according to. To Christ, And so here we are, we're, we're, we're Colossians for right now, let's pretend you're a Colossian, Colossian and you're hearing this teaching from, from outside the church and they're trying to convince you to deal with, with your flesh in this manner. I think if you look at verse 8, we all, want, we all want our flesh to not be evil, we all want to not struggle with sin, so we'd like to wash this away. I think we call the way that they deal with, with this in verse 8 in the category, it seemed like a good idea at the time. It seemed like a good idea at the time. Let me illustrate something that seemed like a good idea at the time. We used to have a dog run out here, in the side yard, for Coco Bear. You know, you just kind of, you know, dog run. It's, it's this long line, and you have the leash, and you put it on the dog, and it runs back and forth for about a minute, and then he gets tangled around the tree, and he sits there. and May as well not have a dog run. That kind of dog run. Good idea. Well, my son Aiden had a great idea. He's got a scooter. And he's got his helmet. And he thinks, I know what I'll do. I'll attach the run, the lead, to my helmet. Seemed like a good idea at the time. He started going off. Until you come to the end of the dog run. It seemed like a good idea at the time until your feet, are now parallel with your head and with the ground and you're only seeing the sky and you suddenly come crashing down. It seemed like a good idea at the time. Why are some people taken off, captive, by these things? Hey, it sounded like a good idea. It sounded right. Friends, this is why it's so important to be established in the faith. To know what God's Word does say. Can someone unroot you from Christ? No. It's a done deal. You have been rooted in Christ. It's, It's a past action and it has continuing results. You are being built in Christ. You have been established in the faith. This is is all very good. You should abound in it with thanksgiving. But beware, because your walk with Christ can be derailed by the flesh. If you think there's a better way, a different way, oh, that sounds so good, I was listening to this radio program, I was reading this book, I was listening to this guy that was talking to me in the corner of the church, whatever it might be, it sounded like a good idea at the time. But let me tell you what it is. Any theology, any truth that is not found solely in the person of Jesus Christ is anathema. Any philosophy that does not hold up as the sole reason for our life and sustenance in the faith, if they hold up anything other than Jesus Christ, beware. Tell them. Right to their faith you're wrong. Amen. You are wrong. Beware, it says, lest anyone cheat you through philosophy and empty deceit, according to the traditions of men, according to the basic principles of the world. Listen, and not according to Christ. Spiritual matters. Are never rightly addressed through human means. Spiritual matters are never rightly addressed through human means. As we come to the end of verse 8, which we've already read a couple of times, Paul is introducing us to the last of our considerations this morning, and that is this Our walk with God is based upon the person and work of Christ. And to kind of just simplify it down, Our walk with God is based upon Christ. Our walk with God is based upon Christ. Human traditions would like to root our walk in us. Right? Wear the right clothes. Put the right kind of makeup on. Do your hair a certain way. Use a certain kind of speech. Smell a certain way. Don't do this thing, and don't do that thing. You will be pleasing to God. That is human tradition. Believe me, that is human tradition. Rooting our walk in the person of Christ is the only remedy that the Scriptures give us. As you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, In that way, walk in Him. He says here at the end of verse 8, not according to Christ. Well, okay, that's good, but why should our walk be based upon Christ? He answers that question for us in verse 9. For in Him, in Christ, dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. In Him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. We are not talking about Jesus being a manifestation or simply an appearance of God. We're talking about the fact that Jesus was and is fully God. We we look in the book of Hebrews and He says uh, the Bible says in Hebrews chapter 1, He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of His nature. In the book of John chapter 1, it says, For... From His fullness we have all received and grace upon grace upon grace His fullness. What is He? Who is He? Jesus is the fullness of God. There is nothing lacking in Jesus. You want to deal with your flesh? Jesus mastered the flesh, because he was both God and man. Have you ever felt like you were falling short? Have you ever felt insufficient, anyone? Well, as you look at this passage, there's a message there for you. In him, in Christ, the fullness of the Godhead dwells bodily. Verse 10. And you are complete in him. He actually uses a play on words here, which we can't see in our English translation so much. He says, In him, the Fullness, pleroma, the fullness of the Godhead dwells bodily. And then he says, and you are complete, is what we have in our translation, our New King James. But many of you have another translation. If you have an ESV, it will say something to the effect of, you have been filled up in him. That is the better translation because he uses the word pleroma or plereto again. So, in Him, in Christ, dwells all the fullness, pleroma, fullness of God in Him. And you are filled up in Him. In fact, it would be, you have been filled up in Him. It's a perfect, again, perfect tense. And remember what that means? Something that happened in the past that has continual results. You're not waiting to be filled up. Believer, look look at me. Believer. You ever feel insufficient? You ever feel like a failure? I want to tell you something about what God has done through Christ. When you embraced Jesus Christ as your Savior, at that moment, with a continual result, you have been filled up to capacity. You are overflowing with everything you need. You are not insufficient in any way. This, friends, is the glory of the Gospel. You have been filled up in Christ. The One who is full of the Godhead literally has filled the believer up to capacity. Essentially, Paul is saying to all of us, to all of us who have trusted in Christ, that you have all the righteousness and all the goodness that you could ever need. It's another way that he says in Ephesians 1 6 that you have been accepted in the beloved. You've been accepted in the beloved. You don't need anything else. Christ is enough. You don't need anything else. Christ is enough. You can try to snack on the world. It will not satisfy you. You can try to satisfy your flesh. There's no end of it. It will not satisfy or You will feel or find yourself dissatisfied. You can seek special wisdom. It comes drastically short of Christ. It will not satisfy. I can tell you what satisfied. I can tell you who satisfies. The only one who will satisfy you completely is Christ. He is the head of all principality and power. Christ is. Enough. Don't settle for anything less. Let's pray. Father, we are in awe of your grace. We know everything we have is based upon it. You have granted to us life through Christ Jesus, our Lord. And we want to We want to walk in him. We know we have been rooted in him. We know you are in the process of building us up in him. And you are establishing us in the faith. We want to abound in thanksgiving. May we pour forth from our soul in song, in prayer, in testimony, in witnessing, in our homes, in our workplaces, in our cars, in this church. May we abound with thanksgiving because of all you've done. We know that there is a tempter. We know there are those that bring forth false doctrine. And we are aware. And we will not, by your grace, allow them to carry us captive. Because we know that the only thing we have is the best thing we have. We have Christ. And he is enough. Thank you, Father, that you have invested in him all the fullness of the Godhead in bodily form. And then you have invested in us that fullness. You have filled us up to capacity and even to overflowing with Christ. Thank you, Father, that he is enough. I pray, Father, for anyone here this morning that's never trusted Jesus, that they do not have him, They do not know him. They do not have this fullness. They do not have this confidence. They have not been rooted in him. I pray, Father, we beg of you that you would open their eyes, that they would see their desperate need, that they might turn to Jesus and embrace him and have that fullness. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.